Uh, welcome, uh, Second City. My name's Jez Deering, if you don't know me. Welcome to uh, all the, the regulars, all the members, and welcome to all the visitors who are joining us on this live stream. Uh, you join us in a series in Psalms, and a series that we're, we're calling God, Are You There? And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 63. Uh, Psalm 63 is a prayer for satisfaction, a prayer for longing in God during a time of separation. David finds himself at this time separated from God, separated from uh, the presence of God, from the temple of God. And if we read the introduction to uh, Psalm 63, we, we discover that he's in the desert of Judah. Now, let me just stop one moment before I carry on. If you've got your Bibles, please open them to Psalm 63. If you've got a notebook, please take it out um, and um, you'll, you'll need it just to take some notes as we go through. So the title says that he was in the desert of Judah. Look, there was a number of occasions when David fled from his enemies into the wilderness. Before he came king, he, he flew, fled from um, Saul and then another time afterwards, he fled from Absalom, and it seems that this must be the latter occasion because he calls himself king in verse 11. Now, the story of Absalom, uh, rebellion against David, you can read in 2 Samuels chapters 15 to 19. Uh, Absalom was estranged from his father David. He felt David had treated him unjustly, and he spent four years trying to win the hearts and the minds of Israel with his smooth tongue and his lies. And when, when he, found that he felt that he had done enough to win their hearts, he set up a rival kingdom in Hebron. And taken off guard, David fears that Jerusalem uh, might come under attack. So he fled the city with those who were loyal to him. Now, the attack didn't come immediately. Uh, thanks to God's interventions, giving um, Absalom's advisors bad advice that they passed on. But eventually the battle did come and Absalom's army was soundly beaten by David's army, led by the seasoned and the faithful Gen General Joab. But this uh, gives us a little bit of the understanding of the real danger um, that David found himself in at this time and gives us a little bit of understanding to the words that he writes in verse 3 when he says, uh, your love is better than life. There's a real sense that his life was a danger. He says, as long as I live in verse 6. And then in verse 9 he says, those who seek my life. Now our separation is a little bit different than David's separation because he longed to be in the temple where the presence of God was, where he met with God and saw and beholded his power and his glory. But we have seen the person of Jesus Christ, if we're a believer. And we've seen the image of God. And we, don't, we know that God doesn't dwell in the temple or in the church or in any building. No, he dwells in us, his people, through his Holy Spirit. And in one sense, we, the church, are his temple. Our bodies, we're told, are also a temple of the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, we still do experience the same sense of separation from God. Many times, many things can create this sense of separation for God. It might come as a result of a loss in our life. Maybe uh, we feel forgotten or uncared for by God. 
It might come during a time of personal failure, of, of sin, when we struggle with the fear that God has condemned us or rejected us. It might come as, a, as, as it is here with David, as a result of being removed from the community of God, like we may be experienced now in lockdown. It may come because of a lack of devotion, desire, empathy. Maybe our affection for the Lord has become cool. It's crept up, up on us and we feel far from God. And our practice in being in the presence of God is not regular and maybe we've come to miss it. Whatever the reason for that sense of separation, it can generate life's deepest pain. That sense of being separated from the love of God, or at least the, well, just the feeling of, of that intense longing to be with God. And this psalm expresses for us that sense of longing to be with God, that sense of separation from God, and can give us some encouragement how we can start to draw near to him as David does. And so there's three things here that I just want to pull out that we see that David does in this time of separation. First one is that he, long, uh, there's a, he has a longing to be satisfied in God, to be satisfied in the presence of God. That's the first thing. You can write that down. The second thing is this, that he pours out praises to his God. That's the second thing. So you can write down that. that. He pours out praises to God, God. And then thirdly, he holds fast to God. That's the third thing, that he holds fast to God. Let's just take a look at the first one here. So whilst David's life was in danger at this time, that's not his main concern. His main concern was a longing to be in the presence of God in the temple sanctuary, uh, which was in Jerusalem. He starts off the psalm with verse 1, O God, you are my God, I earnestly seek you. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly, that means I really, I, um, I really desire to, to be with you. And it was the presence of God which was the source of satisfaction and hope in David's life. We see this in a future perspective as he looks forward in verse 5 where he says this, My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. So for David, being with God was the thing that most satisfied his life, which, which gave most meaning to it. There was a sense of longing to be in the presence of God, just like we at the moment might long to be with friends and family as we're separated with him. A few years ago, I took a trip with some uh, to see some friends in the US from Soma Communities. I didn't go alone. I took a friend with me, a fellow church planter from South Wales. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, but even so, I really missed my family. We just had our third child, Ezra, and he was three months old. And FaceTiming him and just seeing him on there uh, just added to that sense of, of missing him. And I was so eager to get back at the end of that trip. And the night before... I was due to be coming back. We checked into to a motel. We went for a walk. And then we came back. And then, um, I don't know about you, but I'm a, a double, triple checker um, of my passport. I like to check that I've got everything. It's a bit, um, you know, um, disorientating going on holiday because I normally have the Holy Trinity. You know, I want to check my keys and my phone 
and my wallet. But when you have a passport, that gives you four. So I like to double, triple check. And um, I checked. I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, I emptied out my bags. Um, I, we, we took apart the uh, hotel, even though we'd re- literally just put our bags um, onto, the, uh, onto the bed. We phoned everybody we'd been, uh, every place we'd been, uh, nothing. And then there was this great sense of, of feeling gutted, like an emptiness in your stomach when I realised I would not be catching that flight in the morning. I would not be being reunited. In some sense, or maybe to a greater degree, David had that sense of longing, that gut-wrenching desire. I want to be in the presence of God. And we see this sense of desire to be with God all the way through the the, the Psalms. C.S. Lewis writes in his reflections on the Psalms the following thing. He says this, this, These poets knew far less reason than we for loving God. They did not know that he had offered them eternal joy, joy, lest that, that he would die to win it for them. Yet they expressed a longing for him and for his presence, which comes only to the best Christians or to, the, to, to Christians in their best moments. They longed to live all their days in the temple so they could constantly see the fair beauty of the Lord. That's from Psalms 27. Their longing to go up to Jerusalem and appear before the presence of God is like a physical thirst, as recorded in Psalms 42. From from Jerusalem, his presence flashes out in perfect beauty, Psalm 50. Lacking the encounter, lacking an encounter with him, their souls were like parched, were parched like waterless countryside in this psalm, Psalm 63. They craved to be satisfied with the pleasures of the house, of his house. Only there would they be at ease, like a bird in the nest. One day's those pleasures, one day's of those pleasure, they wrote, was better than a lifetime elsewhere. David's longing to be with God was rooted in his present dissatisfaction about being away from God and his past experience of being satisfied in God. David felt like he had been separated from the love of his life. And he writes in verse 2, as he thinks back to his past experience, he says, So I have looked upon your sanctuary and beholded the power of your glory. Satisfaction... Sorry, separation eventually leads to dissatisfaction, which in turn leads, hopefully, or should lead to, a desire in the believer to be satisfied in God. Can you think back to a time in your life where you felt satisfied with God? What was it like? How did it feel to know the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ for you? Well, one of the hymn writers um, who writes the, the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, captures at least one aspect of that for me when he writes this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and grace. One of the things that being satisfied in God is, or um, does, is that you, everything else around um, seems to diminish in its value. Well, sometimes, if we're being honest, we don't always feel that sense of being dissatisfied with where we are in our walk with Jesus or our life in general. Again, C.S. Lewis writes this, um, a quite famous quote from him. He says, he says this, If we consider the un, uh, unblushed promises of reward and the staggering nature of the reward rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like ignorant children who want to keep on going on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Maybe... You're in a season of feeling separated from God. You feel God is distant from you. Well, maybe you become too easily satisfied with the things that are around you. We may not earnestly seek like David does here because we don't think his li- our life with him is better than life. That being in his presence, one day in his presence, is better than a thousand elsewhere. And we're easily satisfied. We're easily satisfied with temporary pleasures. And when those temporary pleasures pass by, we just go and find another temporary uh, pleasure to satisfy us. Keeping us numb to the real need of being in God's presence. Maybe just a silly example, but six years ago I brought a mini iPad. And I had much pleasure out of that mini iPad. But six years later, it's obsolete and of no use to me. It brings no satisfaction to me because it's useless. Because it was temporary. It's had a sell-by date. Well, what do I do? Do I go and buy another thing or another one? Well, these things are not necessarily wrong. But my point is this, that temporary pleasures always come to an end. But the pleasure of knowing God, being known by God experiencing his love, having a close intimacy with him is eternally satisfying. In fact, it's the thing that brings satisfactions to all other things. When we place our things in satisfactions like my iPad, they pass away. Maybe you're prone to seeking your satisfaction in temporary things, a new relationship, a new job, a new car, a new holiday, a new blank, blank, blank. You fill it in. We're too easily pleased. We become numb to the desire that we're really not being satisfied by the pleasure of knowing God. Maybe it's a call for us to live a more simple life, to remove some of the trappings that distract us from the reality that what we really need, like David tells us here, is to be satisfied in God. David describes his lack of satisfaction in God like being thirsty, like being parched. Uh, It's a strong metaphor. 
He says, like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the wilderness and um, I feel thirsty and there's no immediate sign of water anyway. He says, my soul thirsts for you. This is in verse 1. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. The effect of lack of water that is his soul faints for God. He's like a dehydrated man. His soul and his body is feeling that hydra- uh, that the effects of dehydration. Now, the physical signs of dehydration are, are uh, severe dehydration, are feeling dizzy, a rapid heartbeat, um, uh, rapid breathing, sleeplessness, lack of energy, confusion, and fainting. And that the reality is that dehydration creeps up on you. You don't always recognize the initial signs. It's only when the faintness comes over you that you realize, I need some water. Well, the same is true sometimes in our spiritual dehydration. It creeps us on a, up on us. We don't see it at first. Maybe we don't spend as much time in, in, the, in the Word in a particular week or, or over a particular season or our practice of prayer or taking time to rest and to reflect, taking time away, or meditating on God's word, or other spiritual practices. It creeps us up on us, and spiritually we feel weak. Like David, we should be led to the presence of God, calling out to God, crying out, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I'm thirsty. Now, I don't say these things to condemn you, but only to bring awareness to you. How thirsty are you at this moment in time? Are you parched? Is this a season where maybe this spiritual dehydration has crept up on you? Maybe not. But nonetheless, whether we're thirsty or not thirsty, David's encouragement to us will be, seek the Lord. When we feel separated from the Lord, earnestly seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, earnestly desire to be satisfied in him and in him alone. Do you desire to know and experience the presence of God? Have you become dehydrated spiritually? How satisfied are you with your present situation? And do you need to call out to God for spiritual water to refresh your soul? Well, that's the first point, that David longs to be satisfied with the, with the presence of God. Well, the second thing that we see is David pouring out praise in, in, in verses 3 to 7. And one of the distinguishing marks of the people of God is joy in the Lord, which leads them to praise, uh, praise him for his steadfast love and his other characteristics and also the works that he's done. Now, there is a progression here in the psalm. David is so abundantly satisfied with God as he remembers how great he, he is that it leads him to burst forth in praise. Let's read this together. Verse 3, because, of your stead, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. 
My soul will be satisfied as with the rich and uh, with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And I remember when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. The natural right outworking of satisfaction is to declare the good news. Yes, declare the good news to yourself. Declare your good news to your friends and other members of Second City and other believers that you know. Yes, declare the good news to anybody that will listen to you. That's what happens when you're satisfied with God, is that you can't keep it in. It just becomes the overflow of your excitement of being satisfied. You want other people to be satisfied with God. And look at the link between satisfaction and praise. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And then again in verse 7, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. And then in verse 5, he thinks in, again in a future satisfaction, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest, with, with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joy. So there's this link between being satisfied with him and bursting forth in praise to him. A couple of other things I just want you to notice in this passage is that uh, this, uh, this thankfulness, this expression of joy and praise of God is an all-of-life thing. Look at some of the verbs. It says praise, bless, lift, remember, meditate, sing. These are things that he's doing. But then also look at the body parts that he's using. Verse 3 and 5, my lips. In verse 4, it's his hands that's praising the Lord. In verse 6, it's his mind and his intellect as he meditates. And then verse 7, it's his voice as he sings praise to the Lord. So there's this natural link and outworking of satisfaction, uh, our satisfaction with the Lord that leads us to praise. But it isn't just merely one way. In one sense, there's a circular motion going, going on here. Because as you start to praise God for his character, for his steadfast love, once you start blessing him in, in your prayer and in praise, lifting up your hands, once you start singing with your joyful lips, once you start remembering his past works in creation, in your salvation and in your life, when you start meditating on his word, on his character, on his promises, the more you become satisfied. So these two things are, are linked together. We're satisfied, so we praise, we praise and we become satisfied. Think about this, 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says about proclaiming the excellencies of those who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. So as we proclaim his, his wonderful excellencies, excellencies to ourselves, we will, there will, that will come as an overflow of our satisfaction. But also we will become increasingly satisfied in him as we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. Do you see what I'm saying? These two things join together. If at this moment you feel separated from God, you feel far from him, for whatever reason it is, take encouragement from this. 
take time this week to just praise God for all the things that he has done for you. Take time to praise him for, the, for, for, for who he is and, and what he's done. Take time to meditate on his word and, and to, to really put it in your mind. Speak it over yourself. The truths of what the promises of God are for you. And that will lead you to desire to be with him, to be satisfied by him. In the words of an old, the old song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. So that's the second thing that we see, him pouring out praise to God. And then the final thing that we see in verses 8 to 11 is that he's a holding fast to God, that David holds fast to God. Now, again, there's a progression here because clinging to God with all your strength is a natural consequence of being deeply satisfied with him, that you don't want to go away from his presence. You you want to be with him. You recognize that your life is and times uh, are hidden and wrapped up with him, that he alone is the one that can meet your need. So you cling to him. And it seems as we've read the context of, of this, that There were many reasons for David to cling to God in this particular situation. Absalom, we know, was there seeking to destroy his life. You read that in verse 9. And then in verse 11, we hear him talking about the enemies who are spreading lies about him. And this was a real situation that David was found himself in. But in verse 8, he says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And so there's kind of two aspects here going together of this holding fast to God. There's our clinging, my soul clings to you, and there's his, God's upholding us. Your right hand upholds us. So first, our clinging. James Montgomery Boyce suggests that there are two elements necessary to be involved in this clinging. Submissive faith in God and active pursuit of God. Now, we've already looked at the active pursuit of God in our desire to be with him. And the best way I can describe this submissive faith in God is really the picture of a child and a parent. The child seeks to embrace the parent. And... If the, if the parent is willing to, to be embraced, then the, then the child will cling on to that person. But there are times where maybe a child needs an embrace, but they don't want to be um, held on to. And even the smallest child is very wriggly and can make their back very strong and make it very difficult to be held on to. The child must want to be held for it to really be a lasting thing. Now, of course, God, will up, God often upholds us when we don't even know that he's upholding us. Sometimes he holds us even when we're wriggling and we don't want to be held. But there is for us in clinging to him a willingness to be embraced, a willingness, a surrender. In that context, the child recognizes that their hope, their faith is in God. Because if you don't believe that that person is able to help you, then why would you cling to them? No, the child believes that the parent is the one who's able to help them. So willingly, they throw out their hands and ask to be uh, lifted up and embraced. 
So there's a submissiveness in our faith to God. God, please embrace me. I need you. Another picture of this might be um, when you take a child swimming. If the child gets in danger, they are very quick to throw open their arms and ask to be embraced by their parents. Why? Because they need someone to rescue them. And so that's the same for us. So that's our clinging. Then God's holding us or upholding us. In in the second part of verse 8, it expresses God embracing us. Your right hand upholds me. The implication of our clinging is a desire to be in the presence of God for his need for his protection. David's hope here is that God's mighty right hand, his hand that is able to do whatever it puts its mind to, whatever it wants to do, it will accomplish. He wants, in the context of this psalm, to uphold him, to protect him, and to vindicate vindicate him from all his enemies. Now let's take these two images and put them together, because it seems like, um, again, another picture of this might be our clinging in his Upholding us like two pieces of wood being glued together. And once they're glued, they, they are hard to separate. We're holding on to him and he's holding on to us. But in one sense, that analogy isn't good enough. Why? Because we know that, that our bond to God through Christ is much stronger than any glue that we can make. Even the strongest glue or um, uh, maybe or bond might be broken between two pieces of wood. But our bond to Christ can't be. Romans 8, 38 to 39 reminds us we can never be separated from him. There are times where we might feel separated from him. There are times where we might feel far away from him. But we are united with Christ with God through Christ and that is a bond that can never be pulled apart. No power in the universe can separate us from God. No sin that you have done can separate you from the love of God. No circumstance that comes about can separate you from the love of God. Now maybe you feel that separation. Again, my encouragement to you is Let's learn here from David. Let us cling to God and let's call out to him to uphold us in our time of need, in our present situation. I don't know what it is for you that you're going through. Maybe you just feel very lonely and God seems far away. Maybe there is sin in your life and it's repetitive and you feel like God might, be, might reject you or has rejected you. Uh, you just feel that sense even though we know that isn't true. Maybe just being physically separated from the community of of God um, is what you're experiencing right now. But the truth is nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In, In the Psalms, over and over again, I think it's 128 times, it talks about God's steadfast love. Now, that alone should be an encouragement to us. Steadfast love. That means a love that is focused on something and will not be moved off the object of its affection or the object of its desire. 
You are loved by God if you believe in Christ and you're united to God through Christ. God loves you with his steadfast love that is expressed in this image of his mighty right hand and arm upholding us. Call out to God, ask him to help you in your time of need. So, let me just bring this all together um, and, uh, yeah, bring, um, yeah, bring this all together. We may feel far away from God, like David. We may feel this sense of separation. But he gives us three, uh, shows us three things that we can be doing. First of all, we can seek God. In every believer, there is a deep longing to be satisfied by God. Don't be too easily pleased. Seek the Lord whilst he is near. Secondly, we praise him. Our satisfaction leads to us praising him and our praise of him leads to us being satisfied in him. Take some time to praise God in this coming wing. And then finally, as we've just talked about, cling to him with all your might because he is clinging to you and with a love that will never separate you from him. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you that your love is better than life. We thank you that we can draw near to you. Lord, there are times when we feel far away from you. And often it's, it's because of our own sin. It's often because of our own uh, lack, of, uh, lack of seeking your face. But Father, we praise you that you are kind and you are generous to us. That even though we don't seek you, you seek us. And even when we've not been close to you, you bid us to draw near to your throne of grace so that we can experience your love over and over again. Father, we thank you that nothing can truly separate us from you. And we have a great confidence that you love us. I pray you might bless us this day. Amen.